We're gonna make it look fly with some DIY. We're gonna make it look fly with some DIY. We're gonna make it look fly with some DIY. Uh oh, thrift diving. Hey, what's up? It's Serena Pia from thriftdiving.com, which is a do-it-yourself blog, YouTube channel, and podcast that helps you decorate, improve, and maintain your home with paint, power tools, and thrift stores without sacrificing your budget, the environment, or style. Welcome to episode 139 of the Thrift Diving Podcast. And this episode is way overdue. (laughs) I have been non-existent for the past few weeks, and you may have been wondering, where is Serena? Well, remember in the last episode, 138, I was telling you about this amazing bathroom makeover that I was doing for my friend. That was consuming a lot of my time, and I found myself really unable to sit down and do a proper podcast. (laughs) I just didn't have the capacity. I was so focused on trying to get that project done. It got to a point where it was it was kind of stressful just going back and forth between my home and her home trying to get this project wrapped up that I just didn't have the capacity to sit down and talk to you and record. But I'm so excited because we are officially done the bathroom makeover. And if you're on my email list, you just got an email a few days ago with a sneak peek of what that bathroom project looked like. Now, of course, I didn't share everything, but you can see from the pictures, it looks amazing. And I got so much positive feedback from people that responded back and said, Oh my gosh, that looks like such an amazing bathroom. So if you want to see what this bathroom looks like, I am going to leave a link down below for you to sign up for my email list because that's the only way that you're going to be able to see what this bathroom looks like. (laughs) Now, I will tell you the video is being edited. I mean, he actually hasn't started on the editing just yet because he needs the script from me, right? I need to tell the video editor, hey, here's how to lay out all the tracks. This is what I want you to include. Here's the step-by-step. So in order for him to get started on that, it's gonna take him getting the script. And I'm currently working on that. So it's gonna probably be another month before he gets that video done. And I know that you're not gonna wanna wait to see this. I couldn't wait to share this with you. That's why I sent it out the other day to my email list and was like, look, Don't save this on Pinterest. Don't post it on Facebook or Instagram. But I really just want to share this with you because I'm so excited. It's been since the middle of December, really, since we've been putting this together, planning. It's not a huge bathroom at all. It's like 40 square feet. So you would think something like that, ah, you can knock it out in a weekend. No, there was a lot that we had to do for this bathroom. (laughs) And so just getting that done last week felt so good. It felt like such an accomplishment. And I wanted to share that with you. So if you're somebody that wants to see what this bathroom looks like, and you want to be on my email list so that you can get behind the scenes pictures and updates on what's going on, go to my blog. I will leave a link down below. You can go to thriftdiving.com forward slash subscribe. So just put in your name and your email address, your best email address, not your email address. That's like your junk mail This has to be your good email address, right? Because you and I are friends. So I want to make sure that you get my emails. So that's where I've been the last few weeks, just trying to wrap up that project. But in the meantime, in the midst of all that, I had a really great conversation with someone who you're going to hear the interview in this episode with someone named Diane Danes. She's awesome. She had reached out to me some time ago asking some questions about my shed. She said, I've got this amazing shed that I bought for myself. It's 
it's similar in size to mine. I think hers was slightly bigger and she was finishing the interior herself. And I was so amazed at what she, I mean, let's put it this way and you'll hear in the conversation, but if you think that I've been doing a lot in my shed, this woman actually has gone above and beyond. (laughs) She's actually doing a little bit more than I had done. And so she and I sit down and we had a conversation about it. And I wanted to share that conversation with you because if you're somebody who, number one, you've been thinking about getting a shed, there's some really important things in this conversation that you want to consider before you move forward on getting your shed. And then secondly, if you're somebody that didn't think that you could do projects like this, I think you're going to be inspired by this conversation because not knowing how to do something wasn't enough to stop Diane from moving forward on some of the things that she wanted to do in her shed. And I think you can apply that to anything that you're doing, right? You may not have the experience to do it, but if you're willing to learn and you're willing to ask questions, you can actually find people that are willing to help you. And that's exactly what she did. And then the last part of our conversation, you want to stick around to to listen to towards the end, because we talk about speaking up for yourself as a woman, as someone who has done their research, and you have ideas about what it is that you want. When sometimes you may be dealing with contractors that think you don't know what you want, because number one, you're a woman, and number two, they think you're just inexperienced. So you have to stick around for that part of the conversation as well. Again, it was a great conversation. I would love to hear your thoughts on what you think of Diane and I's conversation. You can send me an email, serena at thriftdiving.com. But let's go ahead and jump into this interview right now. It is a little longer than I typically have for my interviews when I do have them, but it was such a great conversation. I didn't want to stop. <laughs> and so I just kept rolling. All right, let's jump into it right now. I am talking to Diane Danes, and I'm so excited that we were able to record this conversation because for the last year and a half, no, two years, I guess it's almost been three years, really, which is insane. I've been talking about my she shed on my YouTube channel. I've been talking about the she shed on the podcast. And then, you know, I start getting these stories from people that say, well, I want to get one. Some people say I've gotten one, but I haven't done anything with it yet. And then I got emails from you, Diane, who said, yes, refinishing the interior of mine as well. And I've got interesting stories to share. So that's why I was like, I've got to get you on. So welcome to the Thrift Diving Podcast. Thank you for having me. And yes, I watched all of your whole series Mm -hmm. right before mine came or Mm -hmm. before my ordering. So you helped a lot in making some decisions for my mine. So when did you get your she shed and where'd you get it from and how big is it? So the foundation was poured in November of last year and December of last year is when the building was erected. 22 was when it first went up. Okay. So I'm a full year into it, but I'm not as far along as you are. Yeah. (laughs) We can get into that. But I got mine from Sheds Unlimited and they're from Pennsylvania and I have two other local companies in my area, but they were much more significantly priced. Oh, wow. And you're in Connecticut. Yes, I am. So I chose Sheds Unlimited and mine is a 16 by 28 in a barn style, which is the gambrel roofing. Mm -hmm. And I opted for higher sidewalls because usually a gambrel roof would have like a six and a half foot sidewall. I went eight and a half feet. 
Nice. So I have a nice tall interior, similar to yours, where you have the vaulted ceiling and had them build it. And they've been a fantastic company. I had a couple of issues with the engineered trusses that Mm -hmm. I took pictures and sent it back to them. And they came out and for two days, they repaired all of that. So it's been a great experience. One thing that's interesting is you had just mentioned about having some problems with your trusses. I had problems with my shed too. And I had different problems like with water coming in. And it's always really important to have a company that you're ordering from where you feel confident that they're going to be able to come and fix what they, maybe they didn't assemble it right. I ordered mine from Tough Sheds and you can get them from Home Depot. I think they're exclusive with Home Depot, but then you can order it online and do your own. And yours is is very similar because mine's 16 by 26. So you, you have a little bit more square footage than I do. They had to come and do some repairs in mine with the water damage and stuff. And sometimes it makes me wonder if when they put these sheds up, are they putting them up so quickly that they're missing things or are they not doing certain steps in order to make sure that it's solid and sound when they put this together? I believe that it's possible that they are building them like sheds Mm, and not like a building that will be almost lived in. Like, Right. right. So they don't expect finished walls and finished floors and they expect a shed. Yeah. And I feel like they take some shortcuts. I don't know if you remember, because I think I talked a little bit about this when my shed was delivered and they put the doors in, I had bought my own doors. I don't know if there was any things that you, well, you, well, let me, let me step back a little. So with your shed, you were able to kind of pick and choose some options that you wanted, right? So what options did you choose with yours? So other than the higher sidewalls, the engineered trusses so that I would have a higher ceiling. And then I did a transom window over the front door. And instead of having a garage door put in, I just had them put a regular shed double door, but I had them frame it for a garage door. So if in the future ever a change wanted to be made, it could be just a garage. I did very few windows because I'm very close to my house, which is right off of the bedrooms. Mm -hmm. So I wanted the ability to keep as much noise down from there as possible. But yeah, so I pretty much just have standard shed doors, but a slight Mm -hmm. upgrade to the fiberglass ones. So they're not insulated, they're not sound, whatever, but I have plans on how I can use that when I'm in the shop. The doors that I have are glass doors. It's basically like a patio door. You can get it from any Home Depot or Lowe's. And I had told them that I wanted this and they said, well, that's great. You You can order it yourself have it there. So when they come to install the shed, then they will install the doors as well. But one thing that they didn't do, and this is what's done when you're building a real building is to put flashing around the windows and doors. Yes. You don't have water coming in. After the shed had been built, I don't think I noticed it immediately, but I had water coming in. And someone else had said to me, I think in the comments just recently on YouTube, they were like, hey, what did you do to tackle the water coming in? Because there was another YouTuber who had a tough shed that had water coming in at the corners of the door. And what it was is that, well, I think typically in building, you should use like pan flashing, which is just this sheet of plastic, like this really hard plastic that it it molds to the door. And you can actually cut it and trim it, right? Just order a big piece. You can cut it, trim it. So that way, when the water is hitting your door, 
it can't come in. It just flows out, right? It's a little slope so that that water just flows out. And it took me doing the research because Tough Shed would literally just send people. And the guy was great. The contractor was great. He came to, to caulk and do whatever he could. But he's like, look, we're just building with whatever Tough Shed gives us. You know, if you wanted this pan flashing, I'll put it in, but we don't typically build with that. And what I found is that it was the perfect solution. Like I've not had any water come in my doors since. (laughs) And so I think you may have made a good point that a lot of these sheds are being built as sheds where if there's a little bit of water that comes in, I mean, okay, yes, it's going to damage things, but you know, now you're refinishing floors, you're putting vinyl tile down, you're not wanting the moisture in here. Or sheetrock inside. Exactly. Or (laughs) sheetrock. And, you know, and if you're not installing that properly, then it's going to get soaked up by the sheetrock. And then now you've got mold in your walls. And because Um, your doors are like an exterior door, they're flush with your floor. Mine being a shed door, they actually stick down below the edge of Uh, the concrete. So it it does save some of that. But like if I use my blower outside, I blow grass up in (laughs) because it's got a gap that I'm working on. So I think maybe there has to be a way for some of these companies to make that be an option where it's like, okay, if your shed is just a shed, then we can build it this particular way. But here's some other options that if you are planning to use this for usable space, livable space, then you may want to do A, B, C, D. But if companies aren't offering this, I think that's why it's important for people like us to talk about what is it like having a shed that you're using for usable space and you've got sheetrock and you've got vinyl flooring How do you make sure that you're choosing the right options? And when they come to build that maybe they don't offer a pan flashing, but you've got it here waiting for them. Hey, by the way, make sure you put this in. I think those things are kind of important. You also need to know to ask for that, right? So like, they're not going to just offer it, but you could say, hey, I want this kind of door, but I want it sealed from the elements. Do you offer this or can I provide it? Right. I almost feel like after we have this conversation, right, and we're talking about these things, taking one of my old blog posts and actually having a principle that someone could download. You know, if you're thinking about buying a shed, here's all the things that you might want to ask them and write it down. Make sure that you're asking for the pan flashing or did you know that you could upgrade your windows? Now, for my windows, Tough Shed had given me their quote unquote upgraded windows but they're still not great quality windows. And if this Correct. is livable space, you might want to buy your own windows and then have them install your own windows that have like the low E, they they have certain- And the argon gas and yes, all, exactly, right, energy exactly. efficient. Yes, more energy efficient. If you do live in a space, like for me, we I get a lot of direct sunlight during the day. I've got these custom DIY blinds that I did. I usually have them closed <laughs> during the summertime. Because the direct sunlight that comes in, and it'd be great if I had known that, oh, I I could actually have purchased windows or maybe, I don't know if they would have purchased it, but I could have purchased the right size windows and had even better windows put in. You're talented enough that you could put window film on. Oh, yeah. It's almost like a mirror that reflects the sun, but allows you to still be able to see out. out. Oh, that's a great idea, Diane. Thank you. Sure. So let me ask you, when you decided to get your shed, what's that time frame between when you decided to get your shed to when you actually decide to pull the trigger to say, I'm really going to do this? What time? And, and what was it that finally made you say, you know what? I'm tired of thinking about this. I just want to do it. My friends say I 
analyze things to death. So for like two years, pre-COVID, let's say, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I really want to shed. But I was working in IT and working a ton of hours. So it was more like a late night on the couch going, wow, this would be nice, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of online ones that allow you to build it in a 3D kind of see what it looks like. And I get all excited. And then finally, I was like, you know what? I'm tired of talking about someday just having it. And I need to bite the bullet and just decide to do it. And my mom calls it the lost opportunity for use. You keep talking about it. You finally just have to say, I know it's expensive, but just do it. And so when I did, of course, it was COVID. So the prices were significantly higher. And I just had to shake my head and say, you lost that opportunity. Just go ahead and continue and get your shop and get it started. And so when you decided to purchase it, how much time frame did you stop from when you decided that I'm going to get it to when you were just thinking about doing it, even though that was a time for you to just keep playing around with the 3D models? I would probably say it was only a couple of months because I first had a contact like a contractor to do the groundwork and then figure out when he's available and then work with the shed company to find out how much time they need. And then on the, like that three-month time frame, the Shed Company had one of their online sales. And I said, that's it. I'm going to pull the trigger and made a deposit and then said, I'll figure out the rest of the timing as that went along. So for the Shed Flooring, the foundation, did you do concrete? Yes. yes. You did do concrete. Okay. And that was, for me, that was a that was a big part of what I wasn't sure about because I'd been told you could do concrete if you wanted. It was going to be more expensive. I'm not sure what prices are in Connecticut, but for me to do my Crazy. concrete, it's $11,000. Yes. Mine was in the, in over the 10000 mark. Yes. Yes. And I was like, wow, some people could actually probably buy a shed for that amount of money. Yes. Getting concrete. <laughs> Another option was to do like six by six tre- pressure treated wood and then filling it in with gravel. Yes. And you know, I was considering that. And I know that it would be, would have been significantly cheaper. I think it might have been four to five thousand dollars to do that. And if I, I feel like if I had just operated by cost alone, I would have made a bad decision because I feel like with concrete, you're gonna get that support for whatever it is that you want to do in here. And also, too, for my county, they did say, well, because it's going to be livable space, you kind of have to do concrete. Now, what my contractor had been telling me is, well, when you submit the permit for a shed this size, people are going to have to get permits. You just have to. (laughs) And I'll ask you in a moment what that process was like. But, you know, I had been, because that was a whole different thing. Yes. been told, even if you're not even using it for usable space, livable space right now, if you plan to in the future, you're going to need concrete. So that right there, I just wanted to make sure that I was doing the right thing per code. But what had you considered? Like, did you know from the beginning you were going with concrete or were you considering doing the six by six pressure treated with gravel? What was that decision like for you? So I have a regular shed that's on a gravel pad with the wood platforms. And I've seen a lot of YouTubers that work out of sheds converted to workshops. But I wanted the opportunity to have a potential future just garage. Like if I sell the place, it could be a workshop, but somebody could easily just make it a garage and then you want a concrete floor. Right. Plus doing woodworking, you want something sturdy, like heavy equipment, like table saws and drill presses are not light. So the 
concrete is a more stable surface. And yours is directly on the concrete, right? Yes. So your concrete is the floor of your shed. Yes. Okay. And so similar to yours where you had talked about not insulating your floor and you've noticed Mm -hmm. the difference, I actually have insulation under my concrete and on the sidewalls of the concrete, like at the ground level. Because in Connecticut, the ground freezes down to 36 inches. And if you've ever stood on concrete on a frozen ground, it goes right up through you unless you have super thick boots on. So this saves about 10 degrees of temperature difference by having a two inch rigid foam underneath the concrete. Wow. that's And that's a cost difference, but I would say it was maybe about $1,000 extra, but then I said that adds so much more comfort to the use of the space. Yeah, that's something that I didn't even really know that you could insulate concrete in that kind of way. So that's amazing for people listening to this who live in colder temperatures and don't realize that, oh, yeah, this is something I want to consider. For my shed, I got into a situation where I had put the deposit down and it was it was was it during COVID? Yeah, it was during COVID times. I want to say it was March, April of 2021 is when I had started getting this idea. Well, I think I had the idea before that, but that's when I decided, you know, I'm going to just kind of pull the trigger on this and I'm going to move forward. And I had put the deposit down on one style only then to want to get to where you were, where you were like, yeah, I think I want to do maybe a garage style with a concrete floor. And when I had finally made that decision about the concrete floor, which meant I would have had to change the style of the building of the shed that I had put the deposit down on. They said, oh, we just had a 15% increase. So if we cancel that contract and then start a new contract for you with the other building that would allow you to have the concrete floor as your floor, then you would be subject to the increase in the price. And I'm like, oh, God. (laughs) I, I, I actually have two floors to my shed. I have the concrete, which could have been the floor. And then I've got a steel floor foundation, which is part of their, oh, I can't remember the the style that I purchased. The Premier, the Premier Pro, that's what I purchased. And my walls would have been a little shorter, but I did get the tall version. Correct. And of course I got the slanted roof. So I have the concrete floor, but then I have the metal floor. So that actually kind of works great because when I step on my floor and I've got socks, I don't feel any cold because I'm not actually on the concrete. Right. All right. So you made your decision on what style you were going with. You made your decision on the concrete, the insulation, and then how long did it actually take for them to build? So when you were ready to move forward, well, let me ask you about the permitting. How long did it take for you to actually get your permit? And what was that Um, like? So I did have to have the company send me engineering drawings to bring Mm -hmm. to the town for permitting. And they have all that information, which is fine. Mm -hmm. I would say it was maybe a two-week period of time of waiting because in my area, any size shed requires a permit. Yes. That's how it's in my county too. You could put a five by five and they want a permit for it. I had to look at a zoning permit also because I have just under a half an acre of land, but we have zoning rules that say you have to be at least 10 feet off of the side property or 20 feet off of the back property. And this was going right next to my side property. So then I had to also find my property markers because they get buried or whatever. And 
work off of that. And you don't want to put a concrete pad in and find out that you have to move it. Oh, the horror. So my contractor actually said, we're going 11 feet just to be safe. So he, he was good with that. The timing, I think, was the longest was scheduling my contractor to put the foundation in. So the town was really great. They got all the drawings. They then just asked for the company's information and their like whatever their dealings are, their address and like who they are. And you just submit it as a form and you could do it as yourself. And then I also got an electrical permit because I wanted electricity out there. And so I talked to an electrician and said, okay, so tell me what you're doing. And I went and got the permit, but then just put him as the contractor for it. And I also found, by the way, it's another good tip, make relationships with your contractors because the electrician that I found was 100% willing to work with me to let me do a lot of the labor, similar like you did. Awesome. So I said to him, listen, you will not clean. <laughs> you, you will not pick up stuff. You will not go step and fetch it. I am here to do all of that. I am paying you for your electrical expertise. I love it. So he was absolutely fantastic with it. And when we talked about how we're running the electrical, he said, oh, we're going to go this way and across your driveway. I was like, what? No. And he goes, well, it's so much harder to go out the back and down here. I said, but I'm digging the trench. So what do you care that I have to be underneath my back porch or whatever? I'll do it. And he's like, oh, it's too much trouble. And I was like, my trouble. Like, I'll do it. So a lot of my delays were just waiting for me to get some of the work done and ready and then waiting for my local contractor to say, okay, this is a big job. I need you to come and start digging up foundation. And he's like, oh, I got emergencies because he was also a drainage guy. And so if somebody's house is flooding, they came first. But I think he also has a better price because I was so easy to work with him to say, it's not an emergency when you get here. So I would think from the time that I first pulled the permit was probably in August and he didn't pour the concrete till November. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a significant amount of time. So I know right. that you was ready to just get going on this because you had already decided that this is what I want to do. Like I'm yes. ready. And so when you were waiting and you were planning and thinking about how you wanted to finish this, were you planning from the very beginning that I want to do my own electrical? Or was that something that came up after you had gotten started and you were like, okay, well, the building's here. I think I can do this. I think I can do the electrical. Or did you know from the beginning that you were going to finish the interior yourself? So my goal was to do as much as possible by myself because part of getting the shop is that's part of my, I did this. Right. I would say that you helped encourage me to just do the electrical on my own because you did yours. That's so sweet. I love I, that. I mean, I felt confident that Yes, I could do labor, mm -hmm. but how and where? And so when you were talking about you worked with your master electrician who taught a class to you, I said, I'm just going to ask the electrician, so how should I run the circuits? Like, I understand them because I worked in the construction industry as my very first career. So, like, I understood the terms. I understood circuits. I understood runs. 
Mm-hmm. But what's the most efficient way to run it, mm-hmm. right? So he was very good at explaining to me and talking about it. And he's like, and take pictures and just measure. And so when you close the walls, you really want to know where all of that is. So I just, you know, worked with finding out information and then doing drawings for it. So I kept busy with that. Plus, I had to dig a 66-foot trench, 24 inches deep, in in Connecticut, we have a ton of rocks. So, oh my goodness! So, so you, like five feet could take one evening of digging. To yeah. So you you really have surpassed me on this project because I didn't. I I, I outsourced the digging. I hired my local landscaping company, and I said, "Hey, I need a trench." I don't even remember. Was it sixty feet? I feel like it was like maybe sixty feet, and we had to go down. 24 inches. Cause here in Montgomery County, Maryland, you have to go down, I believe it's 24 or maybe they went down 30 inches. So yeah, I outsourced that part. So I hats off to you for doing that, but l- let me take a step back. So let's, let's stop there at the electrical. Let's take a sure. step back. So tell me a little bit about yourself and how you even became someone who wanted to finish a shed. You have a background in construction as your first job. So where did that come from? What's your journey been like to get to this point now? So my mom was a single mom and I tended to, if something broke in the house, just figure it out and tinker and fix it. My uncle was very handy with construction or whatever. Like he helped as a teenager build some closet shelving for me. So I learned a lot of little, like, just do it yourself. It's not that hard. Mm -hmm. Um, My first career, because I love architecture, was in campus planning and design. So I drew the plans for doing construction and hired contractors and got permits to do the work. And I worked at an educational institution in the area. Mm -hmm. And so I just learned a lot on the job and asking questions like, why are you doing that? Or how did you do this? And then I have owned two older houses and said, okay, I think I can tackle this. And I did flooring and I did a kitchen and I did like repairing um, plaster walls. And back then before YouTube, it was a lot of reading books and asking contractor friends. And now with YouTube, oh my gosh, so many people doing things out there that make like yourself, that make it easier. Yes. I, I always wonder what we did before YouTube, you know, I, I guess went to the library. And then even at that time, you had card catalogs, you had to look yes. up. I still remember those, you had to actually have to look up to find the book that you were looking for. And so anyway, you've always had a love of doing things yourself and yes. seeing that you have the capability to do it from a young age. And then was there any period in your life where you weren't doing construction or creative things? And then did you one day to just rediscover it. Cause I think that's what happens with a lot of people is, you know, they spend their younger years interested in creating or designing or painting, whatever those things are. And then life gets in the way and yes. you get a career that's not even related to any of the interests. IT. You know, <laughs> <laughs> IT. Yes. Right. So how did you end up in IT? How did you make that decision? Cause that's kind of far from what your interests were, or, or were you able to take some of those creative things and apply it to IT. So yes, you could always be creative in any job that you end up with. My decision to switch to IT was I was working in academia and so education was free. So I went to school at night and they didn't have anything that matched with 
like architecture or construction, but I always helped people with their computers. Diane, how do I do this? Diane, how do I do that? And I would be able to write them instructions that was creatively done that helped a non-technical person figure it out. So I went and got my degree in information systems. And when I finished that, I ended up moving out of the construction side and academia and got a job in academic computing, teaching faculty how to use their computers. And so you have to be creative in that because not everybody understands it. So trying different ways to get them to understand it. And then being in IT, your hours are crazy. Your schedule is a mess. And so, yes, I didn't have a lot of time to be creative. So I only did very small things. And then as you get older, you're like, okay, so maybe I'm thinking towards retirement and maybe I should get started before I retire. And and then it's like that whole lost opportunity. Like, I, I really enjoy this. And my mental state is so much better when I can just tinker and play and and have a product where you say to your friend, oh yeah, I made that. And they're like, you made that? I'm like, yes. Mm-hmm. So it just continues. Yes. Yeah, so, th- so then you you started putting the time into rediscovering that love of construction and doing projects around the home and finding time for it. And then going back to the, the shed. So now you've got your shed and, and you want to have a workshop and you're getting this dedicated space where I am going to create and build. And so before we get back to the shed, what are those things that you wanted to create? In your shed. So you wanted a workshop, but was there something specific yes. that you wanted to focus on in that shed? My my ultimate goal is I am going to make my own kitchen cabinets to Ooh. replace to replace the kitchen cabinets we have now. Yes. I like that. Our kitchen what? cabinets are pressed board that have like a shrunken plastic overcoat <laughs> to them. So they look very pretty from afar, but if you open a door and the plastic is peeling or it got wet, it just expands. They're horrible. <laughs> so do you know how to make kitchen cabinets or is this another project that you're going to have to spend a little bit of time researching to figure out if you have, you have you done that before? So I've modified kitchen cabinets in one house that I owned that didn't have a dishwasher. So I cut out a cabinet and made space and made a sink smaller and modified like two cabinets side by side to fit a dishwasher. Mm -hmm. So I guess I understand some of the construction and techniques and then I'm not afraid to ask questions and then try it. Mm -hmm. And so I built my very first shop cabinet to test some of my skills. I would say the doors are going to be the hardest Mm -hmm. because the boxes are really easy. It's just a box with some pocket holes, but the doors are what is the fine, what you see in the finish. So I am going to practice on shop cabinets to build that confidence and skill and be ready for my own. I think you said something important there about practicing and testing. And this is something that I tell people all the time, because when we have fear of starting a new project that's what causes us to pr- procrastinate. We're so afraid that we're not going to be able to figure it out. We're afraid we're going to make mistakes, that we're going to waste money. And we might miss, we might actually waste money. Yes. When I built my my bathroom vanity, which if you were to look at it today, it's still standing. It's been since 2017, which I'm actually shocked it has not fallen down. <laughs> There's definitely some issues where I'm like, ah, oh, the doors aren't quite closing right. And 
this drawer doesn't quite fit the way it should. And I'm okay with that. But I did a lot of testing and preparing before I got to that point of where I was ready to try it. And then even with the mistakes, I feel okay with that because I learned some things that then if I decide to build another bathroom vanity, I'm going to know what to do. And I think people don't understand that there is a process that you have to go through. You know, when you see people, especially like on YouTube or blogs, build something amazing, there was a process that they had to go through to even get to that point. And I think in order to move your creative skills forward, you have to take that time to learn and test and like Diane, you know, build a couple cabinet doors to not to be afraid, forward. not be afraid and make that mistake. And when I built that bathroom vanity, I was drilling for the hardware and it's like the hidden hinge. And I didn't realize that I had to set the depth properly. So, oh, but I think what had happened too, is that I had used my router and just did like a really pretty creative router on the edge. But I didn't realize that now that I've got this routed edge, now I'm drilling for the hardware. Well, the hardware went straight through. Oh no. So getting a piece of solid, I think it was redwood or something like that. I had to go and spend like another 50 bucks that I I'd already sunk enough money into this. And so you are going to have some mistakes. You're going to make mistakes, but it's all part of the journey. So now if I do another door, I know, oh, I have to be careful what kind of edge I put on the edge of this, because if I drill this hardware, it might go through and you'll be able to see it on this decorative edge. So you just learn. And so that I like that you said that you're going to practice and that you're going to just test before you move into that. Yes. So now before we get back to the electrical, how far away from that project do you feel you are now? Okay. I'm probably about two or three months away from feeling like I'm ready to start working on that kitchen cabinet. Oh, I probably will be, I would say a year away. A year away. Okay. Because right now I am slowly and being so cold out, not doing anything in the shop, (laughs) finishing out the inside. I don't have a deadline. So that time is just my fun time to play in there. I would say that I'm like 95% done with the insulation. Mm -hmm. I have the very top 14 foot high down the center pieces to do, but I I need to wait until somebody's home while I do that so that in the event I fall off the ladder, there's somebody Ooh, around. Somebody there to get you 911. Oh my gosh. But, but I do have a very fantastic sturdy ladder that you can actually stand on both sides of it. So I've learned, go very slow. And if you think that you're reaching, get down, move the ladder. Yes. It's not worth that two extra inches to risk falling. Right. Now, going back to the electrical, I think it's amazing that you were able to find somebody who was willing to work with you in the way that I was able to work with my electrical instructor. What was it like for you running that electrical wiring? Were there parts that were a little bit more difficult or challenging when you you had a general idea of what you wanted, but what are some of the challenges you ran into with running that electrical? And did you do the exterior electrical as well? Or did you do connections? Yeah. So I had a have power pulled off of my main panel Mm -hmm. and then brought to the workshop and a panel put into the workshop. So I paid him to do all of that. And while he was in my house electrical panel, I said, you know what, while you're here, can you put a disconnect switch so that I can hook up my generator to just a plug on the outside of the house and feed my electrical panel? Because I've, in doing research, learned that, oh, you can 
just feed a panel instead of using extension cords off of your generator. Mm-hmm. And I said, since you're already in there and working, right, it's more efficient than calling them back to do extra work. Right. So he basically rearranged my electrical panel and fixed some issues that were in there prior, added a disconnect switch and added a sub panel. I brought a hundred amps to my workshop, by the way, because I'm going to do similar to you with a mini split and power tools. I, um, he then did all of the wiring and pulling the wire through the, um, PVC conduit that was buried in the ground. I only dug the trench for it. And then he gave me a panel, one outlet and one light. (laughs) And, and I paid for his expertise of all the questions that I asked him, like what size wire do I run? What do I need for this? And how, you know, circuits and code and all of that stuff. And he answered my questions. He even answered text messages. And then he's like, why don't I just call you? It might be easier. I'm like, okay, thank you. And then I paid him to come back and pre-inspect my work because I said, before I call the inspector and he fails me, I would prefer, can you come and look at it? And so he did. And I I paid him for his time so that it's not like driving for nothing. And he told me a couple of things that he would do differently. He told me a couple of things to be prepared for when I finally tie in the actual outlets because you don't put them in until after the sheet rocks up, right? So so I still have only one outlet and one light <laughs> in my shop. Drilling the holes was the hardest. And as you saw, like you get oh. the you get the right drill bit, but our little battery drills are like, or right. they twist your wrist off or whatever. So right. a tip that I would say is it cost me $18 to rent a what they call a whole hog from Home Depot for a four-hour rental. And in four hours, I drilled every single hole like butter through every stud because I had already laid it all out on a plan mm-hmm. where outlets were going to go. And I had put tape up on the walls like, oh, so when I was in there, I could look around at the tape on the walls and go, no, I don't like that spacing. So I did do that and then was able to drill all those. Like I drilled two holes and it took me like two hours. And then oh I went and rented that tool and I drilled the entire building in about two hours. So. Wow. As we're talking about this, I'm thinking about my experience. And I, I remember having trouble with the holes, you mm-hmm. know, trying to drill. And the holes have to be right in the center, center. of the floor. Yes. And I remember trying to do it with a Brad Point drill bit. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is not working. <laughs> and there was something that I found that I the wondered. Diablo. Drill. Is that what it was? Yeah, Diablo. It. I'd have to go back and actually look and see what I... What it's I got did. like a spiral point on it and it pulls like through like it's very strong yes that's what i use when i when i figured out that that's what i needed then i was able to just drill through those holes pretty quickly and you don't know this until you get started on it and you're like oh there's got to be a better way because if electricians drilling holes they have to have the right tool to do this correct but I didn't want to spend $300 on a drill just for holes when I right. could rent the tool for, and it only took me four hours. So it cost me $18. Yeah. And I think people don't understand that you can rent a lot of these tools because yes. some people say, well, you know, that's one of my problems is that I don't have tools to do things. When you can rent things, 
And if you have friends, you might have contractor friends, see if you can borrow a tool of theirs. They might even allow you to, to borrow a tool if you're going to use it for a certain amount of time. Okay. So at this point, then you had gotten the electrical in, but right now you still only have, you have one outlet, one light, and you're not quite all connected yet. You don't have all of like your outlets connected. Are you still working on that? Like, are you actively in the middle of working on that? Yes. So the insulation is up and I am putting mass loaded vinyl as my vapor barrier and additional sound uh, for acoustics. Um, I bought the thinnest mass load of vinyl that there is because one, it's stupid expensive and two, it's very heavy. And one of the things that I've learned with that is there is nobody out there on YouTube that tells you how to hang it by yourself. Oh my there God. are a million YouTubers out there about you and a friend and how to, I was like, no, alone. So in speaking with my uncle and us just brainstorming, I think I have a method mm-hmm. to make it easier. I've done three pieces of it by myself so far, and each one went a little faster as you learn, but I think I have a method. And so once I figure that out, I'm actually going to do some video and post it. Great. <laughs> so be- that. For all of you who want to do it by yourself, here's a very easy way to do it. And so my thought is I'm going to take a broom handle and stick it through the roll. Mm -hmm. And then I want to hang it from the ceiling, but it has to be something that you can easily level and easily put up and take down. So I'm going to have a couple of clamps that clamp to the ceiling joists that then have Velcro straps or just nylon straps. The broom handle can go through and now the roll is suspended up in the air right where I need it. There's my second hand. So that's... I like that. Well, when you have that footage and you post it, send it to me. I will repost it for all those who need to to get some tips on how to do this. You're right. It was very challenging. I, I did all the insulation in this shed alone. The walls were fine. Had no problems with the walls. Doing the ceiling trying to get a big bat of insulation in the ceiling while you're on a ladder. I, sh- I probably should have used a platform, but even then, you know, gravity's pulling it down and it's thicker, it's heavier because, it, you know, it's got a higher R value. So it's thicker and it's going in the ceiling. And I don't care what you put on your skin. Although I did hear that baby powder helps to not get all the little mm-hmm. itchy parts, you know, it comes off easier. I tried hats, I tried scarves, I've tried putting things around my neck it gets all over you. And unless you've got two people to really help you, it's difficult. And I was not looking forward to it. What's funny is that when Home Depot, because I ordered, what did I use? Rockwell. Yes, I used Rockwell. Thank you. I couldn't (laughs) think of the name of it. When I had the delivery guy bring it in, and this is a big contractor type looking guy. And he's like, I did insulation once. I'll never do it again. I was like, really? It can't be. It's not that hard. I feel the same way. I'm like, I think I'd probably maybe even hire that out because it was it was challenging. It was messy, but I got it done. And then I had to use a vapor barrier as well. And that was challenging too, is to figure out how to get that up. Mine came in a roll as well. And it was challenging to get it up there and everything had to be stapled. And then I realized, wait a minute, I probably should be using an electric stapler, but I got it done. And it took a little bit longer just doing it with one person. But I like the idea of you coming up with a solution so that if you are just a single person doing this project, there are ways to get around some of these awkward moments. Okay. So the insulation, you're working on that right now. You're getting the vapor barrier in. And and I'm 
probably already knowing the answer to this, but are you doing the drywall too yourself? Yes. You are doing yes. the drywall. Okay. I, I Well, I'm going to attempt um, as much of it as I can by myself. Right. I, I will rent a sheetrock lift to get the higher parts. Mm-hmm. I am not sheetrocking my ceiling. Ah, uh, smart. Uh, <laughs> I, well, with the gambrel roof too, it's not yeah. just like two peaks. It's five yes. shorter cuts. I'm looking to do, it's like, I think it's called Prodex. It's a roll of bubble foam that has silver on one side for radiant barrier and then white on the other side. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to put furring strips up on the ceiling and then staple this to the ceiling and it will be my white ceiling. Oh, okay. So it'll add a little more R value. It will be white. It will be easier to just roll out a piece of foam and staple it to the ceiling. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. So then how long do you think, have you kind of projected, I know it's hard to to know how long these things take, but have you projected how long it's going to take you to finish off the rest of these things with the drywall? And then have you be ready to do then flooring, right? Actually, no, because you're using the concrete as the floor. But even just the organization of that, getting your tools in and figuring out where you want everything to go. And then, you know, you probably want to do like a tool organized wall. That's the part I haven't done. I haven't done anything beyond once I got the floor in, I was done. (laughs) So I I am planning to put like like, glue down vinyl floor, not not Uh like, not like your vinyl planking floors, almost like what you would see in a hospital, those square, like, because they're very tough, just to make it easier because concrete will soak up glue or stains or whatever Um, versus if you put this glue down floor, hopefully that's my goal. And then rubber mats for wherever I will be standing for any length of time. Right. Right. And then if you think about the amount of time, like, are you saying, okay, I I think it's going to take me like another eight months. Have you thought about how long it's going to take? Or you're just like, eh, just whenever I get it done, I get it done. So I keep setting goals. Otherwise you don't make anything happen. Right. So I was hoping by late spring that I will be moved in to the shop, but that doesn't mean that everything has to be a hundred percent done and ready. Right. But it will be ready enough to start doing other projects. Where the shed is not the project. Other projects are being in the shed. Right. Yep. And it's possible that the workshop will have to wait while I do some other household projects mm-hmm. to get done. So I try to set a goal of like, I am going to get the insulation and at least all of that mass loaded vinyl done through the winter. I'm doing two layers of sheetrock also for noise protection. Mm-hmm. And also by doing it alone, I didn't think that it would be feasible to try to lift five eighths inch sheetrock by myself, but two layers of half inch. So anything that you know about sound is the more mass you have, the better the sound retention is. So since one of my major goals is to keep the noise I make inside of there from going out and interfering with anybody else, people might call it going overboard, but I am doing mass load of vinyl and two layers of sheetrock which is going to help with the sound in there. Also be easier for me to handle the sheetrock. So my goal is at least the mass load of vinyl by spring. I probably will put up sheets of sheetrock as my first layer and it'll feel like it's done. Right. I might then just go ahead and get the electrical done and get the final inspection because until the 
electrical is in and they can put their little plug testers in it, my inspection is still open for electrical right now. So hopefully get that done late spring. So much to do, so much to do. But the pride that you feel in knowing that you're doing this yourself, it's amazing, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, every day when I come into my shed and my shed is, I wish I could show you what it looks like now. It's not organized by any means, Mm -hmm. but I've got a little corner here where I've got my desk. I found some Ikea desk in the as is section. So they were a little bit more affordable and I have it in this uh, kind of like a cozy little corner. And so this is kind of where I spend a lot of my time. I still do other projects over there. So even though it's not done, done without, you know, without all the organization, without all the tools, I feel like I'm, I'm able to use the space and really get in here and enjoy it. And when you walk in, you just feel proud of what you're doing. And so I'm glad that you're tackling this project and inspiring other people that they can do it too. And it doesn't have to be something that got to get it done right away because the process is part of the pleasure. Yes. Getting to that point and you're on your way. So you had mentioned about doing some projects in the house. Is there anything, is there anything else that you're working on in the house other than eventually working on your kitchen cabinets? What else are you working on in the house? I need to replace my deck. It's very Mm -hmm. old and disrepair. So I actually, it's almost 600 square foot deck. Oh wow! So I'm going to be cutting down the size of it and changing the stair location and mm-hmm. and doing all that. The framing is still in really good shape, so hey, that's that, good. that makes it easier. Yes, because um, I'm like, oh, that'd be yes. scary if you had to redo all that. But you're doing that yourself. Yes, this will be the fifth deck that I've done on my own. In an apartment that I lived in, I actually did a deck that was over a porch. So like up on the second floor, that was like one of my second deck that I ever did. And I was like creeping out to the edge to drill stuff because I didn't want to fall off. But yeah. You are just handy. I love talking to another woman who's just as handy and who loves doing projects like this. No, my wood is stored underneath my deck. And since I'm changing the, the deck size, I'm going to be moving the wood storage along my fence next to my workshop. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be building firewood racks to keep it dry and ready. Um, I am going to be building a couple of planters to put on either side of my shop doors just to make it look a little homier. And then I need to relocate where my kayaks are stored under the deck because of the deck changes and then do the deck. Yeah. So I've worked out of a garage where like we pull the cars out, I set up, I do some work, I clean up, I pull the cars back in. Um, so so I don't really need my shop to be 100% finished and ready for me to start using it. I just don't want to move everything in there until at least the floor is done. But when I send you pictures, you will see that there's a lot of stuff in there right now. <laughs> That's, that's how I felt when I was working on my shed. I felt that there was a lot of stuff in there already. And, I, and even now, like, I still feel that there's a lot of stuff in here. Like I've got, I've got tables that I'm able to set up and they're the kind of tables that you can easily fold down and move back against the wall when you're not doing projects. And then I've got this really nice engraver that I don't use all the time. I have been using it, but that's set up over there. I've got like my Festool table. So I don't even have another space to bring anything else in. Like at this point, I I need to take some things out. I have 62 sheets of sheetrock, four foot by eight foot that are stacked like up chest high. 
at the front of my shop. So that in itself takes up a lot of room. I know. And then you start questioning, could I have gone bigger? Nah, no, I couldn't. That's right. (laughs) I I went to the edge of my property line. Yeah. No person has ever said their shop was way too big. (laughs) That is, you know, let's talk about that for a moment, because if there's anyone that's listening to this, that feels they don't know what size shed to get our advice. And I'm sure we would both agree on this. Go as big as you possibly can. I can afford it. Yes. And and go as, yes, as big as you can and as, as expensive as, well, I say as expensive because the bigger it is, the more expensive. But if you can afford to go bigger and you have the space, go bigger. Our zoning was pretty much the same way. Whereas I think coming off of our property line, I think it had to be, I want to say 15 feet. You had mentioned 10 feet. Mm-hmm. I'm here is 15 feet. And so my contractor for the concrete he also said, let's just, let's go back one more foot. Let's go back 16 feet. And right. so, you know, and the way that I situated mine, it's kind of like catty corner in the back of my property. Yard. Yep. Yeah. I'm glad that I went the size that I did. I don't think I could have gone any bigger than 16 by 26 because it would have required me to move in just a little bit so that I could have bumped up against that 16 foot regulation there. Um, but yeah, go as big as you can because you will always find a way to fill that space. And if you go too small, you're going to outgrow it right away and and you're not going to be as happy or using that space the way you really want to. But don't forget the lost opportunity, right? So if you're waiting to save enough money to go as big as you can, there are a ton of YouTubers out there that are working out of an eight by 10 shed. So it can be done. If your goal is to just get started, convert your existing garden shed into a shop. And then as you start using it more and knowing what you're going to do, I mean, like I said, for years I've done DIY. So I know what my bigger projects are going to be. So I based it on a sheet of um, plywood that I want to be able to move it around in there without hitting any walls. <laughs> so yep. that- Yeah, I think that's important. It's funny, just recently I was doing a project with a friend and I had a piece of, I don't know how long it was, was it eight foot? I feel like it was an eight foot pine board. It was a one by 12. And this is for the project that I'm doing in her bathroom. And we were maneuvering this around and I kept hitting my ceiling. <laughs> now remember, I actually chose to do the, the scissor truss, which yes. allowed me to get a little bit more headroom but I still was hitting the ceiling. I'm like, oh, oh yeah. That is something to consider. Like you had said, if you know that you're going to be using big sheets of plywood and the shed that you want, like if you have an option of going something, like you said, your your walls were, would have been six and a half feet, but you went a little bit taller. Think about what you're going to be doing in there. And are you going to scuff up the walls because you don't have enough space? But you're right. If if you're just sitting and waiting for years because you're like, well, I really want to get 16 by 26 or 16 by 28, just move forward. Move forward. Yes. There's a way that you can work around it. I mean, there's got to be a way to like lengthen that shed if you wanted to. Yeah, it would be You hard. can. You could put additions on. Yeah, People you can put additions. Yes. So move forward. Now, let me ask you a question. Is there something you wished that you had done for your shed that you didn't do when ordering it? Or like maybe an accessory, maybe something that you had, something that you regretted that "Ah, I should have made a different decision. Well, I wouldn't regret it because I had to make the decision of weighing the cost versus the benefit to Mm -hmm. it. I would have preferred two by six makes that roof structure a little deeper, easier 
to do. But the cost to go there was almost $10,000 more because of the cost of wood. Wow. And so I said, I would rather buy a saw stop table saw for that price. So yes. I just said, I know it's going to be a little more difficult and maybe not exactly what I want, but I wouldn't regret it. I just wish the prices were different. So my uncle has a great saying that he taught me. He said, don't get stuck in analysis paralysis because there is always something that you're going to find out there and say, oh, I should do it this way. And then you never get started. So you have to just say, I've done as much research as I can. I believe I'm going down the right track. Pull the trigger, make it happen, and work with what you have. You can make it happen. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah, I don't think there's anything that I regret doing or that I wish I would have done differently. Actually, no, let me take that back. Now that I'm thinking about it, because it's a conversation that I had with a contractor recently, I didn't realize that I was going to spend as much time in my shed as I do. This is my go-to place. It's my happy place. My husband doesn't really come out here. My kids don't come out here. Unless they need me, This then they'll come out here. But for the most part, they're not hanging out in this space. And it's my quiet space. I spend a lot of time here. And I really wish that I would have considered a toilet and running water. And I had been told that there is this, well, I say it's a new toilet, but I don't know how new of technology it is. Initially, I'd been told that if you want to put a toilet in your shed, just as any outbuilding, that it would be not very expensive to run water to your shed or to your workshop, but it would be more expensive to have a waistline, to to dig a waistline and then have it go out to the street. But there is this new toilet and I think it's called Sani Flush. I'm going to have to look it up because I was just talking to a contractor about this the other day. He's been putting them in. In fact, I think there's a shed that he's working on right now where he's putting it in. And all you have to do is tie it into the regular water line. It doesn't have to be a waistline. And I think one of the companies is called Upflush, but I think another one is called Sandy Flush. What it does is it connects to just like an existing water line, right? Which is not expensive to bring to your shed or to your workshop or your outbuilding. And then for the solids, not getting into details too much, solids, it has like a blender on the back of it. So as you flush it, it's blended all up, liquidy, very liquidy. And then it just goes through the regular. Well, it gets pumped up and out. Yes, it gets pumped. Versus having to be dug. Exactly. That's exactly. Yes. So there's no solids. It's just all water. And you're right. It gets pumped out through like the regular water line. So the the idea is that you could literally put a toilet anywhere in your house, like in your basement. I mean, just anywhere, anywhere you have space and you don't have to dig for that waistline. So my friend was like, well, when it, when am I going to see you again? You know, this contractor friend, because he just helped us put in a quartz countertop in my friend's bathroom. He's like, when am I going to see you again? And I was like, well, remember we talked about that toilet. I want you to come help me put. So I think that is coming, Diane. I think yes. I want to find a space in my shed I got to figure out what corner that would be. And I want a bathroom in here. And I know that your your workshop is very close to your house. Mine is only 20 paces away. But when you're in the middle of a project or whatever you're doing in your shed, having to stop and go into the bathroom, it feels like it's such a journey. And you had mentioned about you know the cold winters in Connecticut. If you're in your nice, warm, cozy <laughs> workshop, you do not want to go out into those elements to go use the bathroom and then come back. You just don't. 
So part of my decision in not bringing water or a toilet, some some cost, but also here, it then makes it what they consider fully livable and then it gets taxed differently versus mine is just considered like a shed still. Right. Okay. You know what I consider that? Yeah. So I, um, yes, it's like 15 feet to my garage door and Mm -hmm. I have a slop sink in there already for like dirty water work, whatever. And it's a raised ranch. So right inside the garage door is a bathroom and it's an all tiled floor. So I don't have to take my shoes off or whatever. I I just go in there. And so I said, it's worth it because also in the garage is a refrigerator where I keep extra water or Gatorade or whatever. And then I don't have to have it in the shop, but it's convenient enough that it was worth not taking up space in my shop too. So I think, yeah. So I think that is something for people to consider is, do you want running water? Do you want a toilet? And if you do, you're right. How would the county look at that? One of the contractors that I'd worked with, he had told me, he's like, well, when you submit your permit, make sure you submit it as a shed. And that's how he said it, as a shed. Yes. (laughs) So I knew that when that tone came in, that a shed there there's a reason why and i and i think you're right because if you were to submit it as livable space even though you're going to be using it as a workshop you're not going to be sleeping in there you're going to be using it but you're not going to be sleeping there's a lot of other requirements that would have to be i I'm, i think there'd probably have to be sprinklers i mean you're right there's a whole other host of things yeah potentially that because then it would be considered a completely different type of structure so you're right take that with a grain of salt i am actually going to be putting a small refrigerator in my shed. <laughs> like I even want a bed. I want to put a bed. <laughs> I feel like I even, I even joke. You're trying I, to escape your family. <laughs> I even joke that I just need to like put a mailbox on the front and just have them deliver my mail here. Just tell the kids, just put it in the mailbox out front. Yeah. I would I'm, consider the intercom system, but I'm afraid that I'll just be interrupted all the time unnecessarily. Oh, yes, like yes. don't do it. <laughs> I actually have one. You can get one for like I think it was like 20 bucks on Amazon. Yes. It's just a little thing that just plugs in and you just push the button and you, Diane, can you come in for dinner? We don't use it that much anymore. Now I just get text messages like, hey, dinner's ready. Yeah, I get the text. And I said, you have to call when I'm in the shop because yes. I don't hear the ding and I'm not holding the phone. So call when you... Just come out yeah. and knock on the door. Just come out and knock on yeah. the door. Well, see, that's inconvenient to have to travel out. <laughs> Exactly. So is there something that we didn't cover about what your experience, what your journey has been like turning this bare bones workshop into, you know, the full functioning workshop? What is it that we haven't covered? So one of the challenges that you and I might face more than some others out there, being women doing construction, it's not that men try to discourage or not believe what you have to say but sometimes you have to justify a little more to them. There are so many new methods for construction, like even Wago electrical connectors versus a wire nut, right? It saves space in an electrical box. It does this, it does that. But if you talk to an electrician, you're like, oh, you can't use that. My electrician said, oh, I know about them, but I haven't used them. And in the time from when he first did the electrical to when he finally came back to do my pre-inspect, he's like, you know, you could probably use those Wago connectors in here for, I was like, gee, that sounds familiar. So 
he had to hear it somewhere else before he then, you know, but got there, similar my contractor when I said I wanted insulation underneath my concrete. Well, what do you need that for? It's not really going to benefit you, this, that, and the other thing. And he told me he's now putting it underneath his new shop. Like, oh, so it's possible that you have experienced or read or have considered new methods in construction that some what I call old timers. I'm just used to this is how we do it. And we're very efficient at doing it this way. And like, don't try to introduce some new fangled thing, right? But some of that newfangled is more efficient, more energy efficient, more, I don't know, easier for a single woman to be able to, we have to think about leverage and weight and differently. Yes. So don't be afraid to ask or just even say, no, I want it. I've done the research. Just do it like this. That's great advice. Because I also too think it has to do with confidence, right? Like you have to be confident in that you know exactly what it is that you want. Because if you have a contractor who most likely he's going to be an older gentleman, because most of them are. And if he's telling you, no, I don't think you need to do it that way. And you are someone who feels like you don't have the experience or the know-how or the years of experience. eh, Maybe he's right. Right. He's been doing it for all these years. And there are certain times that I've said, you are the expert. So if you feel that this is completely unnecessary, but have them tell you why. Like, don't just say no. Explain it to me. I'm I'm an intelligent person. Let me understand why, because I've done this research and now you're telling me no, but tell me why. And then you can balance out the decision between the two pieces of information. There was something wrong with the concrete that, well, I say that there was something wrong with the concrete when my concrete guy came in to put my foundation. And I I didn't know, I didn't question. So it wasn't like I said, hey, I want you to do it this way. But I didn't know that, okay, when you're putting this concrete down, there's a shed that's going to be built upon this. And so it it needs to be flat. And we didn't have an argument or a disagreement about this, but I feel like I could have done a little bit more research and maybe he would have pushed back. But the concrete... He said whenever he does concrete, he makes sure that it kind of slopes. Yep. And it slopes. Well, then when the builders came in to put the shed, well, guess what? That's why there's a gap on the front of my shed because that concrete sloped. If I had done my research, I could have said to him, hey, no, you know, I know that you normally do your concrete with that slope and that's important for water runoff and all of that. Because of a garage or shed. Right. But something's going on here. I mean, something is literally going to be built on top of this and I need it to be flat and flush. But again, I mean, if I had done my research, I I didn't, I didn't know. But if you are somebody, like you said, if you've done your research and you have a contractor that says, no, we always do it this way. No. Well, I heard Serena say, well, I also just explain it's not made for a garage. Exactly. I am going to be doing woodworking in here. So I need something flat to put a project on that's going to be level, or I don't care about water runoff. I'm not parking a car in here. I Right. The the key is my tools and my projects need to be as flat as possible. And so when I told them I want a flat concrete pad, they're like, well, no, you don't do. I said, I want a flat concrete pad. And they're like, okay. Uh, So they tried to tell you, hey, we're going to slope this. Well, because it's 
they know that a garage style building is going on it. So in a garage, you slope it towards the door so that water runs out. And I was like, no, flat. I love that. See, I, I, I love that you told them like, no, I, I insist. This is what I want. And you're going to listen to me because I'm paying you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but it comes with doing your research and then feeling comfortable and being able to speak up. Because I think as women, maybe men do this, but I know as a woman, there are times when we don't speak up, when we're in situations when we just don't speak up because we don't want the other person to feel uncomfortable or we're questioning yes. them. I'll tell you now, this has nothing to do with construction, but I find myself in these situations sometimes. I went for a massage, maybe it was about a week and a half ago. This is just literally a room where there's three or four other people being massaged at one time. But the guy that I go to, he's good. He's got really strong hands. That's great for my back, but when you get to my legs, it hurts. And I have gone to this guy, and that's the part that I dread when he starts putting his elbow in there and he's into your hamstring. And I'm like, and I just clench up and I'm holding. And I've never told him like, hey, can you take it easy? Well, the last time I went, I spoke up for myself. I was like, that that's too hard. And he replied almost like he was embarrassed because he didn't know. But you're supposed to check in. Is that pressure good? Exactly. And and this kind of place, no, there's no checking in. But Mm -hmm. I spoke up for myself. And I'm not one that would classify myself as a doormat where people walk over me. No, but there are times when we're in situations where you don't want to make someone feel uncomfortable or, you know, they're doing something wrong. And so you just don't, you know, you don't question their ability and their expertise. Or their years of experience. Yes. Three years of experience. But sometimes we do have to speak up and say, nope, this is too rough or this is too rounded. I need this flatter and not feel bad about that or not feel that we're going to be labeled as a B word because we're exerting ourselves and and yes, you know, telling you no, I really do need this concrete flat. Like I know, don't ask me why. Like just I just know that I do. Can you please make it flat? And so, thank you for bringing that up. I'm I'm glad that we talked about that. So yes. maybe if somebody's listening to this, they'll feel a little bit more confident this week in speaking up for themselves, whether they're ordering concrete or whether they're getting a massage. Speak up for yourself and don't let people feel that they know better than you just because of their years of experience. And sometimes that's why I ask so many questions, right? I do a little research. I ask the experts who are going to do it. So tell me your thoughts. And then I ask other people. Yeah. So not just that one person so that you then have like all of this information to then make an educated decision of which way you want to go, because clearly there are multiple ways to do everything. So, And then don't get stuck in, like you had been told, the analysis paralysis phase. Yes. <laughs> Make a decision and just just keep it moving. And later, yep. you're fine, you should have made a different decision. Well, you'll make do with what, you, with what the decision is that you made, and it'll be fine. Exactly. Diane, thank you so much. Thank you. A way that somebody wanted to follow or reach out to you. Is there a way that people can reach out to you? So currently I'm just on Facebook, so they would have to find me there. I have not yet created a other content creation area other than like, I think I did one time Instagram. When I built that cabinet, the woman that posted the instructions online, not even YouTube, it was just images and a blog. And I built the cabinet and sent her, I was like, how do you lift the cabinet after it's built? (laughs) Right. And so she told me, 
So I posted on her Instagram the picture of my project. So part of my goal in the next year is now I have all these pictures, all these stories, and my shop is getting ready is to finally have a place that people could reach out to me. Okay. Well, in the meantime, if anybody wants to speak to you, they can email me, serene at thriftdiving.com. Yes. I will forward them on to you. And then once your Instagram or, or blog or whatever it is that you decide to do is live, I will make sure that I share that with people and I Fantastic. will put it in the show notes down below so people can find you. Fantastic. Thank you. Because I think we need to build this community of people who are just connected to each other and can ask questions and I'm sure there are some people listening to this that have questions for you. So I will field those questions, any questions, and I'll send that to you. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I think we can all agree that Diane, she gets the She Shed Finishing Award. (laughs) I mean, the fact that she dug her own ditch, she didn't go and rent a ditch witch. She's like, no, I'm going to just take this shovel and I'm going to dig my own ditch. I love it. I was so inspired by this conversation. And I think that you will too, especially if you are somebody who's looking to get a she shed to to turn it into a workshop or, you know, maybe a garage or something for you to do your projects and have your own space. And I like that she wasn't afraid to approach the electrician and ask, well, hey, can you train me? Or to tell the contractor, hey, no, I need this concrete flat. So I think there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from this conversation and the resolve that she has to kind of figure this out, but to enjoy the process. And so again, whether you're buying your own she shed, and you want to convert that into a workshop, or maybe you're not really at that stage yet, maybe you're just trying to make over your bedroom. (laughs) And you're just trying to like, start, get started with DIY. I think no matter where you are on your DIY journey, there's something in this conversation that will inspire you to move forward, ask questions, do your research, and most of all, feel confident that you know exactly what it is that you want. And even if you're not a professional, you know what you want and you deserve to be heard. So I love this conversation. I'd love to hear from you. What what inspired you about this conversation? You can send me an email, serene at thriftdiving.com. I do have links for Diane's social media. She has, she's gotten the push from this conversation to get that up and running. So be sure to follow her so that you can see her journey with this project. And if you want to see pictures of her shed, she did email them to me. I will, I will post them on my Instagram. And I'll leave a link down below in the show notes so that you can click over and look at some of the pictures of her shed and what she's done in there so far. And remember, if you want to see the pictures of the bathroom that I just did for my friend, you have to subscribe to my blog. Go down below for the link or go to thriftdiving.com forward slash subscribe, and that will get you onto my email list. Because did you know that when you follow someone on social media, you are really at the mercy of the algorithm. I may or may not come up in your feed. However, when you're on my email list, whenever there's something new, like a blog, there's a new video, a new podcast, or maybe I'm just sending you behind the scenes pictures or telling you a story about something that happened that you can't read anywhere else, you have to be on the email list. So remember, thriftdiving.com forward slash subscribe. And that way you and I can stay in contact. All right, I will see you next episode. Find it ugly, make it pretty. Mm-hmm. Paint a